what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike Podcast, episode number 26. They are flying by and tonight I've got a very special guest. It's a returning guest, it's Mr. PJ Byers. PJ is a good friend of mine. We have connected through both of my shows, the Parallel Systems Broadcast, which of course is my finance and prepping channel, and of course the podcast too, where many of my loyal fans from the other show followed me across here, and here is where we do our deepest of dives. And PJ's here to have a conversation, and this was a beautiful conversation. We talk about masculinity. We have a conversation about the struggles of growing up in our respective families. PJ was a young athlete. He had a lot of pressure put on him from a young age to succeed. I too was a young athlete. I had a lot of pressure too for different reasons. So that was a really nice conversation that we had. And I think everyone, irrespective of whether you are male or female, you'll find a lot of value in that because we talk about intergenerational trauma And how do we heal from that? How do we stop this cycle of trauma being passed on from generation to generation? So that's a really awesome conversation. But then we get into all kinds of topics. We talk about gold. We talk about prepping. We talk about relationships. We talk about transcending darkness and turning our lives into a shining example so that other people can hopefully move towards a brighter and better future. Now, I will say this, that PJ is a Christian. I also believe in Christ. And ultimately, I don't think that should affect the quality of this episode for people who don't believe in that, because we all, I think, who listen to this show have a concept of a higher power. It just so happens that this is how we frame it. You may frame it differently, but ultimately, we're all on the same journey. We're all on the same path. And you can draw inspiration from anyone. You know, I draw a lot of inspiration from Buddhism, for example. I've got many friends who are Buddhist. I studied Buddhism and Hinduism at university. But ultimately, Christ is my spiritual guide. He's my teacher. So I wanted to put that out there because a lot of people are turned off by that. But I think you'll find this conversation extremely valuable. And like I said, there's an awful lot in there about getting prepared for the future, about taking control of our lives. And also, we do talk about how we escape what is coming next. And what is the right and moral thing to do? Do you stay behind in the cities to help others? Or do you start to to build a parallel structure? Do you leave the city? Do you go out on your own? So I think you're going to take so much value from this one. I'm going to leave it there for this short introduction. Thank you so much for listening. Members, please head over to parallelmite.com to listen to the full episode and to take part in the forum where we can discuss this. I've also just created a new section on the forum for gold, silver, and financial prepping. And there's a thread on there that I think you all really need to go check out. So please do that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're all well, healthy, and happy. If you are not a member yet, please consider becoming one. We've got a nice repertoire of episodes up there now, and it would be great to build this community even further. Thank you so much. I will see you all in the next one.
Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Today, I have my good friend and returning guest, Mr. PJ Byes. Thank you for joining us, PJ. I'll just do a brief introduction and then you can add to it, please. So PJ is an ex-ice hockey player. He was also a coach. He was also the author of a fantastic book called Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ. I read that book and that was when we first connected PJ and we've become good friends since so I, it's an honor to have you back on PJ thank you for joining me please can you just give us all an update how's life going over there in crazy Canada you're right in the belly of the beast right now so I'd love to know how things are over there yeah well it's going pretty good aside from the fact that anytime I go out into public people keep telling me I look like Justin Trudeau so <laughs> it's, starting, it's starting to get freaking annoying because have you uh, been assaulted yet for that um look man uh, people are I'm I'm doing my best to disassociate with him in terms of ideology, but I can't do anything about my looks now. It's just, it is what it is, but um, frig that guy. He's in India right now too, just getting roasted by the Indian commentators. It's a uh, man. Oh man, that guy, I could, I'll calm myself down at the moment because even mentioning that guy's name makes me want to throw up. So, um, but no, things are more or less pretty good here in Canada. There's been um, yeah, a few different updates in, in my own life and, and be happy to kind of share and launch into that. Cause uh because even for the people listening, obviously, Mike, you and I did a podcast in the probably, I'd almost say less than a year ago, maybe uh, 11 or 12 months ago. And at that point, what had happened was during COVID, I kind of recognized the the various breakdowns that were occurring in society, whether by chance or by fate, we, you can let it be. But uh, I think I was fortunate enough to come across people like you who were also kind of sharing the same message of what was going on. And and in that time, I left the metropolitan areas and the urban centers of Canada and and more or less fled to build a parallel system of, in uh, in northern Canada, like way, way, way up there. And uh, in that time, I was learning hunting and trapping and gardening and farming and, and really just kind of learning what it would be like to, yeah, um, live off grid and, and build your own uh, farm and and all the kind of skill sets that we were neglected upon in the modern education system, which has just been such a disservice to, especially to men in particular. And um, so when I was out there, very, very fortunate. And in that time too, it was really a, a kind of a collective rite of path or a rite of passage for me where I feel like I really matured in a deeper way. And um, that independence and being isolated from society was a time of deep uh, reflection. And, and I wrote my book in that time too, but um, in that deep reflection, I really kind of was able to 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 grow deep and <laughs> minus thirty degrees Celsius weather, just me and me and God and and even just my little dog out there, I guess. But a time of really deep reflection, and um, and then I guess the last time we spoke, I had decided to come back into the urban areas of Canada uh, for really one real purpose, and that purpose was not because I enjoyed it more or less. And not because it's safer here in the urban centers, it certainly is not. Um, but I was single and lonely out on the farm way up there. And the only uh, compatibility I had for a partner, so to speak, were the sheep and the and the cows. And a couple months alone, man, they were looking pretty good. So I thought that was a problem. So uh, <laughs> I came back here and uh, I had a mission and a goal of, uh, of finding a girl and uh, finding a partner. And I think that was a bit of my, uh, my, my, my rite of passage as well, which was learning to subduing and learn self-control of my own feelings and passions and desires and and look for uh look for a woman who would truly be there and, and be a partner for me and and uh friends friends of the parallel mike who are those who could care i i found a girl and, and she's wonderful and um and 
I've been really impressed and and really grateful for how God has kind of provided and in such a great way. And she's a girl who also is uh, kind of in the exact same line of what I've been thinking and has also recognized the same things. And when we got together, it was just so quick and easy to to kind of move past the the dating scene and no more apps and just all that kind of nonsense and garbage. And we can kind of look toward building a life together. So that's kind of led to the, some of the ethical questions that I've been kind of considering. And even Mike, if really quick, like if you can even chime in on some of the thoughts that I've had, which is some of the people here that I know, particular professors or various philosophers or thinkers, they're of this opinion. They're of the opinion that as society continues to break down morally, financially, and all the things that you've talked about, including, man, your last podcast was incredible. The book, The Great Taking, like incredible. It lays it out so well, so systematically, so clearly. So in the context and in the midst of general societal breakdown, what is our role as not only like just Christians, but as men in general, or for those who are kind of aware of what's going on, is it to go to the major city centers and share the message of hope, maybe the good news of Jesus, but also do what we can to maybe create a system within the cities to maybe help people because people are going to be fleeing in terror. I imagine that people are going to be confused and lost and uncertain of what to do, where to go. And there will be a need for leadership in those city centers and in those areas. Because again, even statistically in a place like Canada, about um, 94% of the population lives within the major city centers of like the Toronto, Montreal. So like lower Southern Ontario, the tip of Canada, um, up and along the Toronto GTA area, up along the St. Lawrence River, up to Montreal, Ottawa. That's where a big portion of the population lives, maybe about 20 million or so. Um, Vancouver, like lower lower southern mainland of Vancouver, where uh, of British Columbia, where like Vancouver, Victoria, um, Calgary, Edmonton, and the Middle Prairies, Sask- <laughs> Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, like there are very, very few places where all the people in Canada all conglomerate. And basically beyond that, it's a massive hinterland of just space. And yeah, 94% of people in this country live within a 100 mile radius of the US border. So that's where all the people are. So is the question, do you go where the people are and kind of share a message of hope? Or point number two, is society so broken and so decayed that the only thing necessary and left to do is to more or less leave and go off grid and build a parallel society and build a parallel system off grid and and far away from the whole population. And there's good arguments to be made for both because one view, I'd say the first position is more optimistic, optimistic in the sense that the current legal system, the current political system, the even maybe the financial system can be redeemed or it can be restored back to what it was pre-COVID. And if we build like the right, if we get the right political leaders in place, and if we get enough sort of votes and get people back in power, we can kind of restore the system back away from the corruption. Or there's the other view, which is more, more I think my view, which is that unfortunately the the system itself is so corrupt, it's so broken and decayed. The financial system is so far gone that it can't be restored or redeemed as it is. It can only be escaped from. And even the biblical precedent for those who would be like, who have any familiarity with the Bible, this is where it gets interesting because even biblically speaking, particularly in the Old Testament, anytime God sent judgment upon a country or a nation or a people, he would forewarn those who were kind of like aware of the judgment coming. 
often they were called like the remnant. There'd be a group of people that God would kind of say, like, listen, like the Babylonians are going to come in. I'm going to use them and they're going to wipe out the nation of Israel because of their wickedness and their sins and stuff. And if you're listening, I'm going to let you I'm going to give you an escape route before it all happens so you can save your life. Or the story of Noah's Ark is the exact like that's exactly what Noah's Ark is too. God basically said, hey, like the earth is going to get flooded for anybody who wants get on the ark and we can take you away. And then Jesus himself and the Olivet, the Olivet Discourses in Matthew chapter 24, 25, 26, Jesus is talking about the coming judgment on the nation of Israel for basically like rejecting the Messiah. And then Jesus says, like, flee from the mountains, like flee to the mountains and run from the hills because the, the coming judgment upon Israel is going to be so intense. And what happened was within that generation, a few decades later, the Romans came and completely demolished and destroyed the, the Israelite nation, the Israelite nation. They took apart the, the temple, um, all the building blocks of the temple were ground down and people were dying by the millions just from starvation and just from um, siege and, and really, really wild. So when I've spoken with people here, there are people who have both views. Um, the people within my close circle were, were kind of of the second view, which is sadly and unfortunately people, especially here in Canada, I don't know what it's like for you, but People here in Canada are just so kind of like tuned into the propaganda. They don't really recognize or understand what's going on. If you talk to them about it, they don't care. They don't they don't listen or they don't know um, or they think it's too conspiratorial or too wild to do anything about it. And uh, more or less, it's just like the way that I'd even say, even with the problem of evil or the problem of pain, is that sometimes it's necessary for people to feel a bit of pain before they can recognize and wake up to reality. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, you can only do so much for people, right? So anyway, those are a few general thoughts I've had recently. So yeah, I got a girl thinking about her all the time, um, thinking about these questions that we're talking about today and listening to your podcast, Mike, because you're the modern day prophet. So we all need you, buddy. And uh, beyond that, just living life day to day, trying to enjoy it as much as I can. So well, that's good. That's good news, PJ. It's good to know that you have uh, entered a new phase in your life. And it does feel like since we first met, even in that short space of time, that maybe 16 month period, because you was one of the first guests on my other show, the Parallel Systems Broadcast. Uh, and it's been a blessing to watch you go through those phases and different stages, because that is where true growth comes from. You went into the wilderness, you came back out with new tools in your toolbox, but then you realized there was another chapter and now you've entered that one. And I'm sure this one's going to be a huge learning curve for you, uh, as it is for all of us, you know, because life's not easy and relationships are certainly not easy. You're trying to merge one with one to create one because you know it's, <laughs> that's what actually happens is you're trying to merge two into one uh, that's the holy union so it's an extremely difficult thing but the rewards are there if you manage to do it and if you put the time uh, and you actually get god's blessing by doing it you know properly mm. and i think that's what you're trying to do and uh when i got married to my wife um well, every time i look down at that wedding ring that gold ring it symbolizes that holy union it's not just me it's not just my wife it's me my wife and god and that's locked wow. up in that ring. So I think about that every day. Uh, and, you know, it's such a blessing, PJ, to have a partner. So I'm so glad that you have found a partner. And, yeah, best of luck for it because, you know, we all need a partner in life, PJ, with God. Mm -hmm. We need it more than ever. We need it more than ever, mm -hmm. someone to depend on. And, uh, yeah, so let's let's go on to what you actually said, though, because that was some profound words that you put out there. And it's, it is a moral question. And what you're thinking through, is the dilemma of how best to apply oneself 
in this coming scenario. Now, the first thing that I would say, and just to get it out of the way, is that I think the first the first scenario is diluted in terms of the the fixing of a system, the clean, cleansing of a system. And there's only one way to cleanse this system, PJ, and that would be to destroy it utterly and totally because it's rotten from top to core. And if you take the historic perspective of it, we are we have been essentially in the end times of civilization going back 2000 uh, years. It, it has all been one continuum. Uh, and I don't think we fix this overnight. I think we fix this uh, individually, first and foremost, within ourselves. We have to fix ourselves. And then that is essentially how I see it spreading is that you actually become the light that lights somebody else up so you you know when i see somebody else truly living for another and this goes to one of my favorite quotes from bruce lee which is real living is living for others Uh, and i truly believe that and i think when you live for others you do light up somebody else's life and then they can pass it on too and that can spread very very quickly as i think you've probably found the past year or so however i also think this what we're essentially talking about here is sacrifice uh, sacrificing our comfort uh, for the benefit of others. And, you know, when I made my show on podcast, I understood there was going to be a big element of sacrifice. Now, I didn't know quite some quite, I don't know how big that sacrifice is going to be, PJ. Like, I, I actually don't know where that sacrifice ends for me. What, I, Like, how big is the sacrifice? So I, I had to, from the very beginning, accept that the sacrifice was everything. Because mm. because ultimately, I don't know how big the sacrifice. I mean, it could affect my career. Yeah, well, that's a given. Uh, could it affect my um, potential to earn money? Well, that's a given. Uh, could it affect my ability to travel? Maybe. Could it affect my life? Maybe. I, I, I don't actually know, PJ. So, um, But that is not the intention. The intention for me is not to put myself on a sacrificial altar. And that's key. Uh, And that is not what the spirit of sacrifice is. Like if you look at the biblical spirit of sacrifice, it was uh, it was to bring salvation to others, to help them achieve salvation. So when Moses took the uh, fled from Egypt, he didn't say to everyone, let's all sit down and pray and just have faith. He said, no, he said, we're going to make take action here. We're going to actually perform some alchemy with life itself, knowing that we can that God has a plan, but we can actually influence the plan. And the people that stayed behind, like if you look at Lot's wife, you know the story. She got so petrified, she turned into a pillar of salt Mm. because she didn't believe it couldn't be that bad. It can't be that bad. And it was that bad. And she ultimately paid the final price for that. Now, for us as individuals, we are choosing to sacrifice. We're choosing to live in truth. But that certainly shouldn't be a self-sacrifice. We're not sacrificial lambs, least of all for people who are not engaging with the process of truth and living, you know, people who are not living in truth, we can certainly be an example to them, PJ, but I, I think we need to set the right example. And that example is not let's destroy ourselves, trying to help people who ultimately are refusing that help. So what we have to do is uh, be leaders, like you said, be strong leaders, be examples. But I think that example comes from um, showing a better way. And and for me, that actually does involve saying goodbye to the system that is broken, mm-hmm. allowing people to have free will, because that's the most beautiful thing God could give us mm-hmm. outside of love was well, it comes from love is free will. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have their decisions to make. Now, you are being an example. I'm being an example. The door is open for anyone to walk through, but you mm-hmm. can't drag anyone through that door, PJ. And I would certainly be very uh, hesitant to ever 
advise somebody to stick around in a dying and broken system. So that's my first take on it, PJ. I'm going to hand it back over to you just to see what thoughts come up. Yeah, no, it's so good because like the system as it is, like there's a greater chance of all the British people collectively getting good teeth overnight than there is of the system being restored. <laughs> like it just isn't happening. Like that, that one really hits home, PJ. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was pissed off all your audience, but uh, trust me, there's enough jokes to be made about us Canucks out here. Don't worry. Just get our beavers and our, our hockey pucks. But um, because the other thing that I thought though as well is that we we do, we get so infected quickly with short-term thinking and I recognize even in myself how much we do quickly think about short-term, our short-term needs, and even what will life look like in the short-term. But the real battle and the real thing that I've thought about the most, and my girlfriend and I have talked about it, is long-term. What does life look like for the long-term? Where do you want to be in the long-term? Because the way that the world is shaping up over the next five to ten years, it's not, <laughs> we'll see what even the next few weeks look like or the next few months, let alone the next ten years. But really, you have to think about the long game, is if you want to have any sort of influence over the long-term it just seems inevitable that you need to be kind of building the off-grid parallel system with like-minded people in those communities. And those communities are forming and they do exist. And you kind of just need to be a part of one if you want to have a long-term game plan five to 10 years from now. And that's where I'm trying to really focus now and, and think about is not so much my life in the next few months, but what does life look like for me in the next five to 10 years? And, and I think that's why the, the second option is the only option if you want to have any sort of sustainable life that is grounded in freedom at all. Uh, freedom. Um, yeah. And because and, even the things that we also talk about now, like my girlfriend and I or even different people is like just the food here, like the food and the system itself here. Like we just kind of noticed that when we were living, like when I was living off grid and when I was eating my own meat that I was hunting from the woods or when I was cooking my own meals and clean, like drinking clean water from the well um, and just healthy living, like always working, always working out. Not only did I feel better and I was in much better shape, but just overall my demeanor and, and mood, everything included with that was just better. And when I come back to the modern society, sure, like I like the McDonald's coffee. I like that I can just kind of hop in quickly to the grocery store and buy things, although inflation is really driving those prices up, especially here in Canada. But man, it's like I just don't feel as well. Why? Well, all the food is covered in pesticides or it's covered in this and that. And the quality is just poor. And it just like, yeah, I, I enjoy the taste of the McDonald's in the short term, but like long term, it just makes your body feel like crud and and again, it's the short-term thinking versus the long-term because, yeah, the short-term hit of that coffee tastes good, but long-term, it makes you feel worse. And just kind of even noticing that and, um, yeah, just kind of long-term versus short-term thinking right now. And I just think, too, like option two is the only one that can last. And if you think about even having kids, um, what does it look like to have a family? Uh, secondly, like we're already kind of talking about like hospitals. So there's a story that just happened right now over the last few weeks here in Canada, which was that there is a an unjabbed woman who was looking for uh, an organ transplant and she was continually denied the transplant conditional upon her receiving the injection and she didn't want to take the injection. And uh, over the last few weeks, about three weeks ago, she passed away and you kind of learn and look at those stories and look and, or you just kind of realize very quickly, like, wow, even my access to healthcare and Canada's great healthcare system here it's not surprise or secret. It's not a very good healthcare system for a lot of reasons. My mom's a nurse. My dad's a paramedic. I can explain how. Um, 
your contingency and dependency on the healthcare system is even very questionable at best. Um, so a lot of the it modern PJ, but you also have to remember that that the people who have actually suffered physically in terms of their health the most were the ones who actually were the most obedient and followed what they were told. Uh, and that's actually very telling, PJ, because it means that in the future, if you stay behind and you follow the rules and you're the most obedient, that could actually be the most it would 100 actually it will be the most dangerous thing to do so that actually mm. frees you up risk wise and that actually the risk of staying is so high anyways that yes. i may as well go out into that wilderness and try for myself you don't want that healthcare, pj because you know what that healthcare truly will be about it's not healthcare. it's um it's it's influencing your decline in health uh so, <laughs> so i just i just wanted yeah. to put that in there because a lot of people have said to me recently about how you know, I, I'm really worried um, about the future in healthcare and this and that. And I'm like, but just look what, look at the prize you got for being the most obedient. Those are the mm-hmm. most sick and many of them have actually perished. That was impossible to do if you didn't follow the advice. So I think actually the rebel, you know, ultimately, if you wanted to lure people into being obedient, it should have been something more advantageous than what they gave them, which was disability and death. So I think, I think they've screwed up, put it that way. Uh, and I yeah. also think I'm actually glad because I can then definitively say to someone like you there is nothing that that system can offer you going forward so why not why not go to the wilderness why not build the parallel system uh, why not live hev- happily ever ever after but <laughs> maybe i'm being a bit uh, naive at that i don't actually believe that i what i actually believe is going to happen pj is your life's going to be full of uh new struggles because we are going back to something much more much more resembling what we would have anticipated our great grandparents would have lived in it's not going to be it's not going to be total misery it's but it's going to no. be a different life a tougher life but ultimately meaning doesn't come from ease either or convenience in fact i think you've just laid out very well that convenience is a sickness it leads to a sick mind and a sick heart so maybe pj this will be what defines our life and makes our life ultimately much more brilliant and beautiful than it would have been had we stayed in those cities living these convenient lifestyles exactly and there's a quote from Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, who continues to have probably more of an influence on my life than he should, but too bad. He's a he's a great thinker and and unfortunately very misinterpreted. But he has this quote in the in the gay sciences, um, an aphorism, and more or less he says this. Uh, I won't say it, like I might not get exactly here, but I'll get the gist of it. We've arranged ourselves a world that's posited upon lines and planes, causes and effects, axis and ally or axis and and lines and all of these things we've derived and created for ourselves a world of comfort but we've forgotten one thing that the conditions of life might include error and more or less what he's saying is this is that the modern world is premised on the foundation of comfort and safety that man particularly post enlightenment period we thought that we could structure and create a society that would eliminate the risk of life and build life upon safety and comfort to keep us away from life, including all of its risks, all of its failures, all of its disappointments, all of its victories, all the joys, all the defeats, all the victories. We wanted to cast those things away so that we can enjoy comfort and safety and protection. And that was particularly a theme within the mythology of atheism or secularism or dead materialism, as you like to call it, Mike, which I think is still so good which is that if there is no eternal life and if there is no life after this world, then what should we do? We need to have the best and perfect life in the here and now. And Nietzsche is more or less attacking that saying, you can't do that. 
because you can do everything you can as a human being or as a society to create a life based on comfort and safety and having a nice little pension plan and having the perfect life of the nine to five job and having your, your stocks and bonds. But what's the thing? Well, two things. You can never have the perfect life. And B, if you put your trust in or if you put your faith in those things, the materialism in those societies, in those structures, you can learn very quickly as we're going to find out. And as we're learning more or less in the last two years, those things can be taken away. And the things that you put your trust in, the things that you thought would bring you health and life and sustenance, they can be taken away or even worse, they can actually bring you the opposite effect. And that's, again, the power and the wisdom I always continually find in the scriptures in the Christian Bible, which is that those who look to idols will be disappointed by them. Because what an idol is, it's a false God. And the very thing that idols promise you that they will give, they will actually provide you the opposite. If you look for a life based on modern safety and comfort, the government primarily will step up as the true God in the absence of the eternal God, the government and the state op like operates as God and will offer you all of these things. Just do this and you'll have you'll be healthy. Just take this injection, it'll make you more healthy. Well, actually, it took away from your health. Oh, just give us more of your freedoms and your rights and we'll give you a better return of safety and comfort. And then all of a sudden you realize you're living in a 400 square foot studio apartment paying $2,500 a month and the prices are increasing and the government's adding new taxes and all the rest. And all of a sudden life is becoming more, much more difficult. And there's this really great uh, analogy that Jesus gives of the exact same thing that Nietzsche is talking about. So my girlfriend and I were talking about this. So in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the desert, right? We, I think we know about the story. So Jesus is in the desert and he's, poor old Jesus, he's suffering. He's struggling with, with hunger and, he, and he's probably thirsty. And he's probably desiring a nice cold Canadian pale ale beer, you know, that's, that's the good stuff. But <laughs> um, Satan comes to him and Satan offers him and tempts him with three things. Do you remember what the three things are? The first thing that he says to him is obviously he's hungry. He's like, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into, turn these stones into bread. Turn it into bread. And Jesus says, no, like every man, like you will uh, sustain yourself on the word of God alone. The second thing that Satan offers them is he takes them to the top of the temple. And he says, if you fall down from the temple, your angels will come and protect you. Will they not throw yourself down? And then he says, do not put your Lord God to the test. The third thing that Satan tempts him with is he remember he takes him to the, I really think he probably took him to like outer space or something, probably something supernatural and cool. But he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I own these. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, you will only worship God alone. So in that story and in that example, what does Satan offer? And this is, again, where you look at and you have to think about your own life. What does Satan offer and what does Jesus offer in response? The first thing, bread. Satan offers bread, which is a symbol more or less of prosperity, that you'll be well fed, that you'll have material comforts, that you'll have money. All these material things. That's the first thing. The second thing is health. That if you like don't fall down, you won't get hurt. Satan will offer you a life of health, perfect health, perfect body, perfect image. Um, if you if you have the right diet and all the different things, like that's what it's all about. And the third thing is power. I will offer you power. So uh wealth and prosperity, um, health and perfect, like a perfect kind of healthy living and all the rest. The third one is power. And Jesus wisely rejects all of them. And what does Jesus kind of offer in response? Jesus will offer in, in conjunction and complete distinction from Satan. Jesus offers a life of meaning and truth. That if you pursue the truth and seek the truth and seek after God, 
you will find a path of meaning. And the power and the trick is this, is that a person who has all the things that Satan offers, power, health, and wealth, you can have all those things, but not have a meaningful life and still always be searching for meaning. And with Jesus, you can have a path of meaning and not have all the other things, but still feel deep fulfillment and joy every single day. And that's just like one of the catches. So, and again, when we're talking about like what we're talking about, which is the practical now advice of leaving, leaving the modern world, leaving the modern system and leaving the modern comforts for a path that would be, yeah, because man, like I've lived it too, you're living it, to live out in the woods and to build your own fire and to um, chop down your own fire and to hunt and to cook meals every day and to be working 12, 13, 14 hours a day minimum. Like it is hard. Uh, but I'll tell you, man, like it was very fulfilling, very rewarding, very masculating for me as a a modern, a modern dink as a man and living in the world of the modern society, which is always criticizing you for being toxic and always trying to get you addicted to pornography or watching porn, watching movies, playing video games, uh, the endless pursuit of mammon and fame and career. Like by neglecting those things for a path that was difficult, I found there's a real meaning in that. And even in my girlfriend and I too, like she's, she's so wonderful. Like the way that God's kind of worked in her life too, is that she was really taught and same thing taught and promised that if you, if you're just like a career driven woman, like you don't need children, you don't need family. You can be an independent woman and make lots of money and, and look maybe when you're in your thirties after your career set, like mid thirties, late thirties, then you can maybe think about those things, but only if they don't affect your career. And in early in her life, she was very, uh, very wise and very intelligent. She pursued a career very quickly after high school. I didn't really see the necessity of going to university, which is just a, a government mouthpiece of, of left wing ideology. Like she she didn't do that. And she started pursuing a career and she was doing well. And she just kind of kept looking around at all the girls around her hooking up and partying and drinking, going like, this is actually not as fulfilling as I thought. And then when we met and we had similar viewpoints on things won't well, a lot of our conversation was wow like women have been really lied to to being taught that like if you don't have a family if you don't find the the joy of children and, and even the joy of being in a committed stable relationship where both partners are committed to each other and not looking to party or hook up with the next person or just add a we call it chalking up the kill count in, in hockey here in Canada so a kill count is like just obviously the amount of women that you can sleep with like deny the kill count and commit yourself to one woman or a one man in, in a loving relationship. And like, that's where the real meaning is. So we're, we're talking about these things always. And we're just kind of uh, pleasantly surprised day by day by how God just kind of, just kind of keeps showing us like a little bit of a better way, you know? And, and it really is him. Cause he's like, yeah, PJ, like you're not too bright. <laughs> Listen to me. And I got something better. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think what you're hitting on is a really important point. It's about what we've got here all around us is the world of materialism. And ultimately, you can conquer the world of materialism because it's synthetic. Like anyone can, you know, we can always we can always have more. We can always aspire to more wealth, more goods, more stuff, you know, more, more digits on the screen. Uh, but ultimately, what are we actually chasing there? We're, 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 we're chasing a phantom. You know, there's, the, you're never going to catch it. You're never going to catch it because ultimately you eventually get to a point where it's like, oh, see you later, Peter, you're gone. You know, that was it. Uh, and, and what defines that life? Uh, and ultimately, that's the great delusion that Satan gave Jesus. He said, yes, you can rule like you can have everything in the material realm. 
Uh, and maybe you're going to live longer than the average person, you know. And I guess a lot of these elites do live to like 100. I mean, look at Kissinger, look mm. at the Queen. They do actually live like another 20, 30 years, but they're still going to die, PJ. And there is no taking any of it with you. Uh, and why they're so scared of death is because I don't think they're atheists at all. I think they truly do understand that there is another realm, a spiritual hierarchy mm. above us. Uh, it's just that they took what was on offer. They didn't have the discipline. They didn't have the self-restraint to actually pursue something more meaningful. Uh, and the moment you allow the corruption, remember what Satan actually did there was he started with the bread and he started with something very simple. And I think there's a key mm -hmm. message in that, that if you allow that door, that the cracking the door, I mean, what you, you, you could argue if you put yourself in the shoes of Jesus right then, I'm starving. It's just some bread. I could do it. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just some bread or PJ. It's just, a, it's just a one night stand or it's just another shot, whatever it is, whatever that small vice is. And trust me, I'm not saying that I'm a Puritan. I'm certainly yeah, not. Yeah, no. uh, but yeah. what it's about is you have to be very careful on a moral level and on a spiritual level, because that slightest crack in the door that you leave open will soon lead to the floodgates completely opening. And therefore you are now seeking uh, to be the king of the world. And I think that's the story of corruption, the corruption of the soul. And when people say that power corrupts, it ultimately really does. Uh, and I've seen that, you know, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in the lives of people around me. I've seen people succumb to, uh, I would say, mindsets of greed and materialism. And and I always try to stay away from that. But there is, uh, there is a fine line too. There is a fine line too. And I say this from experience in that uh, I pursued what was meaningful having left uh, my childhood, I came out of my childhood, uh, my father was somebody who pursued money and power uh, in the criminal sphere. He was very, very high up in in, uh, in UK crime. Uh, and when he went to jail, it was involving extremely large sums of money. It was actually about 40 million in today's money, 20 million back then. And he went to jail for that. For And he lost his entire, well, he actually had two sentences with a short interim between where he was out. And then he went back again. Uh, and ultimately, he missed out on about 20 years of his kid's life. In fact, all of his four children, like he never saw any of us. We saw, I saw him every, let's say, every month behind a screen or sat around a table with prison officers. Yeah. Uh, so that was my childhood. And of course, I had a long time to reflect on why did he end up there and what did he actually trade for that? So he was tr he was going for the money, right? So let's imagine he came away with whatever it was. Let's say 20 million. Yeah. Uh, okay, seducive PJ. You can do a lot with twenty million. You can, you can, you know. And he planned to go retire in Spain and live in the sun. He actually, I was there looking at villas with him. I was too young to know what was going on, but he was actually. Uh, and looking back from an adult, I was there while he was literally choosing where we're going to move to and where we're going to live once this big deal came off. Now, of course, it didn't come off, uh, and ultimately, he went to prison for the for a long time. But. Uh, I, I had a long time to reflect on that. And what I realized was that he was seduced by by money, by greed, mm. by materialism and by power, too, because he was extremely powerful. Uh, and with that comes an awful lot of perks. You know, people treat you differently. I used to go out with him, PJ, and I wherever we went in the city, swarms of people like 30, 40 people. I'm not kidding. You were, you're going to pub. Everyone wanted to shake his hand. Everyone wanted to buy him ah. a drink. Most loved man in the city. It was like a Robin Hood character. Unless she was on his bad side, then of course, yeah, bad times for you. So that's what it was like. Uh, and that was seductive as a young boy, remember, because I'm becoming a man at that time and I'm yeah. seeing that. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, like, how will I ever live up to that? How could I be like that? Uh, but then obviously he went to prison. So I, I had this kind of schism in my life where it was like, well, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to be so obsessed with, well, so I went the other way and I pursued a life of meaning. 
uh, which involved me looking, how can I do the most good? And again, I'm certainly not trying to paint myself in a Jesus Christ type light because I, I had so many struggles in my life and I did so many stupid, foolish mistakes. Uh, self-sabotage was one of my favorite things to try and do. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that's what I did. I had a career where I was supporting people in very tragic situations, helping them mm-hmm. rebuild their lives. Young people particularly is what I focused on because uh, they were the most innocent and they were the people that you had the most opportunity to help. But to cut a long story short, PJ, I, when I was talking about the fine line is it also led to hardship on my part in that uh, at some point I knew I couldn't make my family's life better. And I realized I had to focus on what was happening at home too, And therefore, Mm. I had to learn about finance. I had to learn about money to improve my situation. And it wasn't because I needed the money for for material wealth. It was more a case of if I don't fix these problems at home, too, and take care of business here, uh, I'm much weaker out there, you know, in the real world. I'm desperate. I'm easily controlled because now I've got a... Uh, I've got to get a salary. People can, you know, for example, they could bully my job. They could say, we're going to fire you if yeah. you don't take this and that. And ultimately I thought, yeah. well, I don't ever want to be in that position where someone can control me. Uh, mm. But there is a morality to money too. And that's critical. And I think that's been lost on a lot of people. And uh, in the world of finance, I would say it's completely out the window for most people. And that's one of the reasons, and maybe we can talk about this in part two or later on, but that's one of the reasons why I really do like gold because it is pure. It comes from God. It comes from nature. Mm. Uh, and although there is harm involved in every single thing we do here on planet Earth, sure. I do think uh, I I do kind of always feel drawn to things where it's natural and it feels like man hasn't corrupted it completely. Uh, mm. Does that make sense, PJ? It's great, man. And I was going to say to you, like, even that brush that you have in your hand, is that for your hair? Is that for your beard there, pal? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my beard brush. I, I wanted to look my best for you. This this video is not even going out, PJ, but it was all for you, my friend. Okay, well, thank, well I was going to say, throw in some uh, Just for Men there to cover up those uh, silver whiskers in the beard, pal. It's, come on, what's that all about? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I like to think that I'm the wiser and older one here, and <laughs> hey. I'm guiding my young Padawan over, over the internet. Hey. But uh, let's get back on track, PJ. So how... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, am am i gonna have to edit this one out no i'm gonna leave it in i'm gonna leave it in but um but ultimately pj you know i like how old are you pj i think we've got about 10 years difference right Uh, i just turned 33 oh my god no you're just immature then (laughs) (laughs) no i I can pass me people say i I get passed for 25 or 20 i get 27 yeah yeah i think they're just being nice but 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 do you feel pj and this is this is a genuine question and it's based on what i just said too I, I very much feel like my adulthood was delayed by, I'd say, about 10 years. Like, I, I really didn't feel like I came of age until I was in my mid-20s, and I really didn't start to get my stride in life till I was in my 30s. Uh, and a big part of that was what I said about my childhood. But also, I think it was just societal as well, in that they tried to trap us in this infantile state where we actually don't mature and develop those characteristics. And you mentioned going off into the wilderness and you actually came back feeling like you developed some of that. But I would hazard a guess, PJ, that that used to happen about the age of 14, 15, and it would have been your father that would have introduced you to that. So um, do you feel like this is something that's actually contrived or society is just degraded so much that it happens naturally? So, yes, uh, there's this book called, uh, it's a philosophical book. It's called The Content in the Form by this guy named Hayden White. And more or less what he talks about is how, language and discourse operates through mythology okay i'm going to try to unpack that is that in a particular society or culture 
what emerges is a particular mythology or a story of truth. And that's what guides and dictates the particular language and the language games of a culture and a society. So for example, it used to be maybe in the ancient world or in what we would consider the primitive world in the archaic societies that the particular mythology or language of discourse for manhood was that it was required for a man to leave his mother and father, go out into the wilderness and survive for about three or four days. It would even be maybe necessary for them to um, hunt an animal and bring it back as a symbol or a sign of their maturity or their manhood. Actually, in, in, in ancient Sparta, for example, I'm not saying it's like morally right or wrong, but just in the particular mythology. In the ancient Sparta, for example, the Spartan boys would go off and they would have to go and kill what was called a helot or a slave. And they would actually more or less have to slaughter or kill a person and bring that back. And that was a symbol of their power and mastery over nature and their power and mastery over self was that they were able to uh, display to the tribe or to their people group that they had acquired this. And there's another uh, philosopher, a Christian philosopher named uh, Charles Taylor. And he talks about in a secular age, how, in the ancient world, everything was enchanted. Everything was imbued with spiritual meaning, spiritual enhancement, and it was all about acquiring spiritual attainment. But in the secular age, what had happened was uh, disenchantment, where the self was no longer um, what he calls a buffered self, which is that the self is no longer in one with or in tandem with nature. Um we are no longer spiritual. The world is no longer spiritual. Everything is disenchanted. There's no such thing as magic anymore. No such thing as spirituality, spiritual forces, demons, angels, God, all those things are removed. And he says what happened and what filled the vacuum of that spiritual world? Nothing. Because if you believe the world came from nothing, there is no such thing as a spiritual enhancement, spiritual growth or spiritual maturity. So the particular language or mythology that we have in the modern secular OS, particularly for men and young men, is what? Pleasure. Pleasure has become the opium and like the, the, the opium of the masses. Sports, I think, plays a role in that. The pursuit of sports, honestly, like the pursuit of money, that's kind of a given. But the pursuit of pleasure, particularly, I'd say, like sexual, where all taboos are being eliminated in the sexual sphere. Um and all of these things have led to, particularly for men, just a sort of disarray and, and, and there's no path to walk on. There's no, there's no path. There's no path of meaning. There's no journey. There's no travel. Um, Bill Wobaggins says that, uh, that every journey starts with the first step and um, people don't know where to walk. They don't know where to go anymore. And that's become a part of our mythology. And um, I would also say fatherhood, like there's a, there's a very deep spiritual link among fathers it used to be like yeah same thing like if you read the bible like say like first chronicles or second chronicles super boring for modern people to read because it basically says like david begot absalom and absalom begot this guy and this guy was the son of him and he was the son of him and he was the son of him and for us in the modern world we go that's super boring like i don't really care to hear that but when you go to particular african tribes those are like the favorite passages of the bible for them to read to read about who was the father of this guy was or who was the father of that guy because they like to trace like the link and go like oh like who is that guy how is he significant and how did he relay that significance down to the son um like those are things that are really fascinating and in the middle well, that like, tells in, you are where you are in space and time as well pj you know to, mm. when you know the lineage you know where you are and when you don't have any link to the history you are left 
in a, in some kind of cosmic limbo. You know, you don't actually understand where we are. And I think that's a key part of the trick being played on this. So powerful. And, and yeah, because even the Middle Ages, it used to be that like, oh, you would present yourself as the son of. So I would say I am PJ, the son of Peter. And even just for, like my name, PJ, it doesn't stand for pajamas or peanut butter and jelly. It stands for Peter Jr., which means that my dad, Peter, he was my senior. And his father, which was my grandfather, his name was Peter as well. I'm and a his... Michael Jr., so just the same, PJ. Nice, man, MJ. And then, uh, yeah, and then my grandfather's dad as well. So my great-grandfather, he was Peter. And you see this kind of long, this lineage of, of kind of like self-respect and, and worth and value ingrained within the, the link of fatherhood. And what what modern men in particular don't understand and what I had to learn through God's help and God's messaging to me was that a man must let go and become his own man and break free of his dependence upon his father. That includes financially, that includes morally and spiritually. Um, and if you don't break free of those if you don't break free of your father's approval and need for approval and your dependence upon the father is that you're always seeking that approval. You're always seeking that approval of some higher man above you. And what does that make you? It makes you weak and it makes you easily to be controlled. And I think that's why in particular in modern societies like Canada, so many people are so susceptible and so quickly controlled because they're, they haven't really understood that deep spiritual link between father and son and the link of family, which is so deeply ingrained within not only a society, but within God's world, because God made families, even like the, the, the symbol of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's, it's representative of family. And even like early church fathers would talk about how the father, like God, the father is obviously the father, God, the son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is actually very representative and symbolic of the mother. And that's what families are even like. That's kind of like what the link and the, the foundation of what families are. Um, and if you don't kind of understand the spiritual journey that's set out before you by God and by the Bible, you just become kind of weak and susceptible to control by which God, God government, like the government will dictate. And you just become so like quickly controlled by that. And, and sorry, just if I may, a real quick story about this, because like for me, there were two moments I would say where I really recognize how like just deep, deep levels of, of spiritual manhood that occurred for me. Um, the one that we just kind of talked about quickly was like going out to the woods and then living that sort of independence. Um, but the one that came before that was actually when I forgave my father. That was a very, very big moment for me because like what happened in my life was um, I was always a very good hockey player growing up, very talented, um, had the physical attributes for it. You know, I was tall. I'm like, I was six foot three, 200 or probably 195 pounds, probably could have added a couple more pounds if I was more focused, but um, had all the physical tangibles of, of doing it. But mentally and internally, I struggled with like confidence and the need for approval. Because for me, I always was kind of seeking and needing the approval of my father in order to play well. And my father, who's a wonderful kind and like loving man especially now mike it's been incredible to see the the way that god's worked in his life um but no parent and no human being can bear under the need of approval that you can only really get from god because i think i've kind of recognized too that our own souls are infinite and our own needs are infinite in character and you can't look to a finite creature to sustain an infinite desire and need 
So when I was looking to my own earthly father to be that source of, of meaning, I just couldn't get it. Like it, it, no matter what he could do or say or provide, like it just wasn't enough. So yeah, like I just turned 20 and I was a, a new Christian and I'd walk, walked away from hockey, went to school, became obsessed with like learning and studying philosophy and, and like seeking and looking into the things that we're kind of talking about more and more. And because uh, my desire for knowledge was just so strong and I was living in this new reality um, kind of with God this time. But what happened was, um, I was in a relationship and, uh, oh, I liked, I really liked this girl, Mike. And, uh, more or less, like she broke my heart. Like she kind of left me for another guy. And I was like, oh, poor PJ. <laughs> um, but then at the same point though, what happened was a few things. Um, I had a young uh, cousin pass away at the age of 16. And then my grandfather, my dad's dad passed away. And it was all within the same kind of month, a month and a half. And all these sorry to interrupt you, Jay, but just out of interest, what was your relationship like with your grandfather in terms of in comparison to your dad? Were you much closer with your grandfather? Um, not that I was necessarily closer, but he was a great, wonderful, wonderful man. Same thing, like uh we were all Dutch, and uh the Dutch, um, aside for a love of uh howda cheese, as we call it, and uh a lack of flavor in our cooking, um, Dutch people have a very hard work ethic. And uh, my grandfather, he fled Nazi occupation of uh, Holland during the Second World War. And, and he was very lucky. His village, uh, this little town called Almsmeel, was destroyed by the Nazi Luftwaffe. Him and his wife fled to Canada and they came from nothing and they built a life here. Couldn't care less about anything. His values were God and family and not a whole lot else. And when I reflect on that, I think that's very wonderful, actually. Couldn't really care for sport. And a part of the story with us was that my dad, um, growing up, he was a very he was a very talented athlete as well, and and he was very a very good hockey player. But I've seen a picture Uncle, of your dad, and he looks like my doll frame over there. <laughs> he was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, played, he was very muscular, very very strong, and a very talented athlete too. Like he could have probably played. Um, you know, who knows? Like who knows how high he could have went with hockey, but he wasn't really allowed to play because there's church on Sunday and you have to work. So hockey was on the weekends and what are weekends for? They're for working. So <laughs> my dad really wasn't ever allowed to play. So when he was the best player, all of his buddies got to play hockey and he had to go out and work. So I think what happened was when PJ junior or Peter junior, me, when I showed up and I had some talent, I had some skill. I got all the opposite. I got every opportunity. I got to play in all the games and all the tournaments I would miss church to go to the hockey tournaments. And so anyways, when my grandfather passed away, that triggered all of these kind of like events between my own father and, and a lot of our struggles and battles. Um, because in the exact same way that my father as a finite being couldn't fulfill the, the desire that I had for infinite acceptance and longing. So too, for me as a son, regardless of how talented I was, I couldn't provide the meaning and sus the sustenance that he was looking for. Because I think that he wanted to give me every opportunity and he wanted me to play in the NHL and he wanted me to be the best and he wanted me to raise the Stanley Cup. And when I showed flaws and failures and when I didn't score goals, then that's where his disappointments kind of came out. Right. So you can just see how the how psychology is so deep and a lot of it's rooted in family. Anyway, so then uh, kind of getting back to the story, I'm not hopefully your audience is. I'm only sharing this in the sense and the hope that people listening will recognize that they'll have the exact same stories that we will, Mike, 
Yeah, can family. I just interject as well, Peter, just before you sure, move buddy. on, because yeah. I know you're going to go on to the next topic as well. But I just before you do, uh, I just think it's important to stop for a second because what you're highlighting is uh, something that's very important. And and, it, and I had the exact same experiences in my, well, no, I, was, I shouldn't use the word exact, but I had very similar themes running through my family. And I mm. think everyone will do. And it's this, uh, it's intergenerational trauma, PJ. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned your grandfather is, Oftentimes what you get with your grandfather, and I don't want to put kind of words in your mouth, it could be completely not the same. But with my grandfather, it's like you get you you basically get your father's best qualities in the grandfather because you're not his direct descendant. So he gives you Mm -hmm. all of that nurturing, all of that love, but without the hard assery. But if you went back to the relationship between him and his own son, there was a lot of hard assery. And 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 I I know my granddad was one really hard ass on my dad. Uh, Apparently Mm -hmm. he was... Uh, well, I don't want my, my granddad was one of the most beautiful men I've ever met. But when I know, learned about the relationship uh, that he had as a father to his own children, super strict. Uh, and if you yeah. stepped out of line, there was some there was serious trouble. Uh, yeah. And then I look back at his childhood and his dad. Um, he grew up during the war, and what he used to have is about nine brothers. So every and he was the youngest. So every time he got in trouble, he went home and he got every brother came back and every brother kicked his ass. For that mistake. So he'd get like nine kids. So he actually used to even run away from home because his mum died traumatically when he was in a, only 10. Uh, in the oh. war, he got took away. He got sent to a, a house out of the city uh, and they used to abuse him psychologically and physically. Uh, I, I don't know if there was anything else, but I know it was very traumatic. They used to lock him in uh, a coal cupboard for days on end, take his food, starve him. Uh, and he used to run away. Uh, so his childhood w- was extremely traumatic. Uh, and we pass on this trauma from generation to generation. But ultimately, our direct relationship is with our own father. And therefore, we we take it extremely personally, that relationship. But I think what our ultimate job as human beings is, is to is to stop that line of passing on uh, past traumas. Uh, and to do that, you have to forgive the previous generation. And I think the best way to do that is to know what they went through. Because then you can look mm. at them almost... Uh, as the parent and not as the son. Uh, and you can look at them lovingly as as though you were their parent and say, actually, uh, I wish I could have stopped that for you. Like, I wish you didn't have to have that childhood. Uh, and ultimately, now you have that power within you, PJ, to stop uh, that from being passed on to another generation. And that's because of your great intellect and the fact you've gone mm-hmm. through this reflection. So I just want to put yeah. that out there. No, that's amazing. And, and you know, what you just said, though, too, like, it's exactly what happened. Because like what happened with me then was that um, I, with all the things compounding the relationship and then my, just kind of a little bit of trauma with my, I kind of kept, I, I just kind of fell into a depression and I didn't really know what depression was. I thought before I would have thought it was just like a lack of willpower, but when you actually are in that dark place, it's, it's real. And um, there's no pain like it. Like there's no pain, like the pain of like depression or anxiety and I went into that dark place, assuming that it maybe be quick. And I remember thinking like, oh, if I just like take the right medicine, I'll get better. But you can't treat a spiritual ailment with a physical property. They're just different categories. And I didn't really understand that. Another thing I think the modern world doesn't understand. Um, but anyways, getting back to it. So then three years later, three years later of just continually like trusting and hoping in God and, and working and praying and um, always keeping hope and knowing that I would get better. And I did. And this is what happened. Um, One day I just was at work actually. And I was just so broken, just reflecting on 
all these things. And <clears throat> what it really was, it's uh, it was one thing that my dad said to me when I was a kid. And, you know, this is the thing I've learned too, is that it's the power of words. And there's something so beautiful about this. So when God created the universe, what did he do or how did he do it? He spoke it into existence. And, you know, the second thing too, for um, like, I love Lord of the Rings. And uh, when you read like the Lord of the Rings, or even when you read the first book called the Silmarillion, which was like the prelude to the Lord of the Rings, some of the most powerful, good characters in those stories, like Galadriel or Baron and Luthien, or there's another story of this guy named Finron Felgen. When they actually fight with like the enemy Sauron, they actually don't fight physically. How do they fight? They actually like will sing songs of hope and love. And that's how they combat Sauron because then Sauron will fill them with like despair and darkness and hopelessness and and death and then they respond in the battle with like songs and praise and joy and hope and even uh like Frodo does that when he's in like she loves lair when she loves about to get him he sings out and praises like Elbereth and like God basically and that's where deep spirituality is and the need for 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 worship and the need for song and joy and dancing like those are real ways to combat evil and again one of the reasons why the globalists they want to like isolate us and keep us like apart from community because that's how you find hope and meaning um but anyways what happened was i broke down at work one day and i'm like i'm i'm lost i'm broken i don't know what to do and instead of running and going to the hospital i went to a pastor and I sat down with the pastor and he just said, PJ, I know there's something in, inside of your heart and soul that it needs to come out. It needs to come out. And when it does, I really feel like you're going to become like a new person. And I knew what he was talking about. I really think God gave him some spiritual insight. And more or less, this is what it was, is that for all of the wonderful things that my dad did for me, the one mistake that he made was I had a bad hockey game and he just said something stupid and something unwise. And um, and again, minor hockey in Canada is so intense, man. It's hard to explain it, but any Canadian here would understand. But like the pressure of the minor hockey market is really very, very powerful. And just one day, like after the game, I just didn't play well. And my dad just said, like, I want to rip the last name buys off your jersey. And that was like the, the the dart and the arrow that was like filled with poison that Satan really used to like like build the trajectory of my life because after that moment that was when I was always seeking my dad because that spiritual link of father son father son like that last name meant everything to me like that last name means everything to me right so to have that removed I needed to get it back um so when I shared that with the pastor in the room it felt like a, a weight not even like a weight it was almost like a, a a weed had been ripped out of my heart and I felt like I could breathe for the first time and then basically the pastor just said like PJ you need to like talk to your dad and reconcile because the gospel of Jesus is about reconciliation and I'm like okay and uh and you know all that it was was I I just talked to my dad you know I had that really hard difficult conversation with him and I just kind of shared with him and and when I shared what he said he apologized but what happened was really special he kind of shared with me some of his struggles kind of like just some of the things I shared earlier about how he missed out and how he made mistakes and we kind of forgave each other. And yeah, like how you said, my dad is no, he's very macho, very alpha, very muscular and all the things. And it was a very difficult conversation, but man, I'm telling you, Mike, my depression kind of alleviated after that. And uh, that was maybe like 10 years ago, man. And I have to tell you, man, like after that moment, I was able to see all the good things that my dad had done 
And instead of focusing on what Satan had done is he made me focus on the 99.9%, like the 1% thing that my dad had done wrong, instead of the million things that my dad did for me that was really good, the hours of love and the work that he'd done. He was a full-time fire, part-time paramedic. You'd often work 85 hours a week minimum. All those things provide for his family. And I was able just to see the 99% of all the good. And due to my depression kind of went away and, um, my dad and I have a, like a, like I can't even like say it, just like, like I, like I love him so much. And um, we have a great relationship, Mike. I talk to him about everything now. Um, and he's become so gentle and so kind and so loving. And he's a new man too. And, and just the love that he has for others, man. It, I would never have thought, Mike, in a million years that it could be so good between two people that had struggles. And uh, I'm great. I can't tell you how grateful I am to God for, for doing that for us and for me and just the joy and freedom that I have just from that alone, man, was worth it. And uh, you talk about freedom, man, and, and joy, like that's freedom. And uh, I want others to know that same freedom because freedom does come. It comes internally first and then it works outward because um, I want others to feel the same freedom that I have in Jesus. But more than that, too, I want that to extend to the outer world now because there are dark degenerate friggin' psychopaths that want to enslave us physically and spiritually and we can't let them like people have to hear those songs of hope they have to hear those those poems they have to know those stories and uh they are real man and they're there and um and i think that's where you come into mike and i talked about this with johnny hoddle like you are the modern day like prophet speaking hope and truth into a world of, of darkness. Like you are like, we are collectively too. like the people who are listening as well. Like we're the light, like we're the ones kind of sharing the message right now of truth because truth is what is reality. Like truth and reality are the same thing. You're speaking about what's going on in the world, Mike, like you are the one sharing and giving people like forewarnings and giving them hope and telling them what to do and how to, how to be effective and how to be efficient and not to be caught in hopelessness and like when the collapse does come and it's coming man it, it's coming like you're not going to be a person who's weak in those moments like you can know what to do and you can have a leg to stand on and like that's why people like you man and like we need people like you i said this to johnny too from the parallel for the staying free podcast like we need you like you're not just like a guy doing a podcast like you are the voice that god is speaking through like you are the medium and we need you guys and um, yeah, man, that, there's plenty right there. So that was a key moment in my masculinity. Sure. Like giving my life to Jesus was one going to the wilderness and doing all those things was two, but really I would say it was forgiving my father, man. That was the biggest moment of like spiritual manhood I've encountered to this day. And, um, I have my ups and downs. I have bad days like anybody, but depression, no, man, I'm, I'm good. Well, thank you for sharing that, PJ. It's a, it's a brilliant story. It's a beautiful story because I think so many men go through that. You know, suicide is the biggest killer of young men. It's a completely silent uh, epidemic or pandemic, maybe. I don't know what's the word. Epidemic, yeah. you could say. That's happening. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it or look at it because ultimately it is part of the agenda. It is what they want to do is to leave us emasculated, disenfranchised, uh, disconnected from our uh, from our forefathers. Uh, and, you know, I draw so much strength from knowing the stories of my grandparents, the struggles that they mm -hmm. went through, my great grandparents. And uh, that does give you uh, it gives you. Uh, it gives I don't know what the word would be. Um, 
I think it gives you it gives you meaning and a place a place in life it, it, you have a legacy that's the word it gives you your legacy yeah, wow. uh, and Great. that's your inheritance you know your inheritance is that legacy and you carry on that legacy but without knowing the legacy exists uh, you can squander it in a single generation you can sw- squander the legacy of freedoms that have been fought for for uh, god pj what we're we talking we're talking thousands yeah. and thousands of years of our you know think of all the people all of the men uh some of them might have been good some of them might have been bad but all of the men that had to fight and survive just for you to be here today i mean how unlikely is it that you were sat here now and that i'm sat here now (laughs) it's it's utterly unreal when you think about it uh but it's a beautiful message of hope uh and you know i i'd like to say that i mean my i really love my father he's a you know when he got out of prison uh he started volunteering at the samaritans uh so he used to work all night long for free speaking to suicidal people on the phone. He became a counselor in prison, uh, working with inmates who had drugs. My dad was never had never touched drugs in his life completely. He, he drank alcohol, but he never would touch a drug. Uh, and he used to counsel those inmates on drugs. Uh, he uh, he is the reason that I got involved in, uh, in social work and counseling because I, I'd left university with a theology degree uh, and i didn't know what to do with it peter i wanted to help people but it was a very naive kind of take on life like if i if i learn more about god and spirituality maybe i can translate that into a, a helping profession and it, it just didn't work i had to so he introduced me to somebody who got me into the profession he did a lot of favors for me so my dad did an awful lot for me but uh but i must say i never i've never had that um that real open heart to heart like that and ultimately I think I don't need I did I think at some point I didn't need it because I forgave him uh, and I accepted him really? as he was uh, and I as he is wow. uh, and and so I never I never did that but I didn't need that either but I certainly did go through some of the similar struggles that you went through uh, and ultimately mm-hmm. uh, it was touch and go for many at certain times in my life like I didn't know do I want to uh, do I want to be here is there meaning enough is there enough meaning in life for me to want to sustain uh, another 50, 60 years of that? Uh, and I think that's the dark night of the soul. Whether you're male or female, you will have moments like that. Yeah. But if you do fight through it and come out the other side, there's a tremendous amount of strength on the other side of that. And it allows you to mm-hmm. then engage with people who are who, who are maybe further, further behind you on that path. So uh, so thank you for sharing that, PJ, because uh, I think it's a powerful message for everyone. Uh, and it makes, me, it, feel, it makes me feel very heartwarmed to know that you and your father... <laughs> connected <laughs> like that uh, and i know that the, i mean now just think about the relationship you're going to have with austin with all of that insight that you've got that will be the the start of like a new line of pj buys or buys family because mm-hmm. you've kind of made that break point i mean nobody's going to be perfect right but uh that sure. insight you've got no I, because what you spoke about there just, and I, i'm aware we're kind of coming to the end of part one so we'll leave it here but is that is that kind of form of true alchemy where you can actually uh, you can actually mm-hmm. manifest in reality something new by by speaking it. And, and God created the world with the word. Uh, I believe we create our future with the word. And I also believe mm-hmm. we heal the past with the word by bringing out verbally uh, what we've hidden and buried in our subconscious. And whilst it's there in the subconscious, it, it's not dormant. It's it's infecting our life, like it's infesting mm-hmm. our lives. Uh, it's putrefying our lives because it's there festering away. And the moment you brought that out, you'd kind of extracted the poison and got rid of it. You'd thrown it out there yeah. uh, and therefore you healed. Uh, for I, I, And I I would suggest to any listener that uh, if, 
one of the first things I could say to someone is if you want to heal some kind of past trauma is verbalize it. Just get it. It doesn't matter mm. who it's to, you know, it could yep. be someone anonymous, but you need to verbalize it because once it's verbalized, it's gone from the subconscious mind to the conscious uh, mm. and you're not, and it doesn't reside in the subconscious anymore. So it's not going to inadvertently, you know, start to break apart relationships or ring things. So make it conscious uh that's the first step in healing uh of course there's other things that we do after that but mm-hmm. uh so thank you for putting that out there pj i'm gonna leave it there for part one it was a fantastic part one uh i think you've given listeners a lot but in part two uh, i've got a lot i want to ask you about um what i actually want to ask you about pj is about how do you how do you find truth how do you find truth amidst all of this you've talked about living in the city and you've talked about your experiences in the wilderness so i want to talk about truth i want to mm-hmm. ask you questions about gold and prepping and silver because I know that you're interested in the metals uh, and I also wanted to ask you a little bit about um about your own future like what do you perceive for yourself and how are you going to actually manifest that in reality uh okay. and especially with your relationship too you know I think it's in a, I think you're at a very interesting stage in life and I don't want to sit here and play Mr. Freud as though I'm analyzing you <laughs> I, I mean it as a, from a loving place as a friend like I'm very interested in in your path and I think you've got so much to offer the world PJ I, I actually and I think if you if you do and decide that you want to be one of those leaders uh you will be a leader because you've got the capacity to do it so uh if i can be there behind you supporting you in any way i certainly will be good i appreciate that and yeah just kind of like it's my final word is like all these things about being a leader and, and yeah even having my own children stuff my next big psychological thing is maybe allowing my girlfriend to see me naked without total fear. So that'll be the next thing I'm working up to. So. <laughs> okay, we'll do part two. <laughs> okay, that was a great way to edit PJ. PJ, if anyone wants to find out more about you, your work, or just to connect with you, to have a chat with you, uh, I know you're quite easy to to kind of get in touch with and very open to, I mean, we've got mutual friends now in Johnny Hoddle, you was on his show. Mm-hmm. So how can people, people reach out to you, PJ? And, and please direct them to the book too, because uh, that book, has an awful lot of value for anyone who hasn't read it. It's very cheap. Anyone can pick it up. It, it's certainly a book that came from the heart. But you know that P, that book had a real impact on me, PJ. So mm. I do want I do want to want you to always remember to to plug that book because it's not just oh this is PJ this is a book go check it out. No, it's like that book has real value and insights in it. And I think people should take cool. the time to read it. Yeah. So. I would just say Twitter, like Twitter actually has become such a, a good and easy platform. So just reach out to me with a message on Twitter. I'll be quick to respond. And then the second thing is, what's your handle, you, um, It's P at P buys five, I believe it's uh yeah, at P buys five. Um, and uh, yeah, so that'd be a good one. And then uh, even YouTube comments, I've had some really wonderful conversations with people over the YouTube comments. That's been really good. And then the third thing is, uh, yeah, my book, Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ. And that's on Amazon. So um, if you wanted to uh, grab a copy of that as well, that'd be uh, really great. So um, as always, Mike, thanks for uh, part one. And let's uh, get rolling into part two. Awesome. Thank you so much, PJ. And just to reiterate, everyone, it's um, at capital P, capital B, small U, Y, S, 5, at P, B, at P, buys with a capital P, capital B. And thank you so much, PJ. Let's get to part two. Well, that's it for part one, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mr. PJ Byers. If you like where this one's heading, please go across to powerlandmike.com and join us for part two. Members, I will see you over there in the private members section. Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. And of course, I will see you all in the next one.
what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Not really peace in our time, peace in all time.